Tracy Lane Lindsay of Cruel Social Media. I'm your host with BBP TV, and I'm here today with my amazing guest, David Ammerland. I am so happy to get a chance to talk. Uh, David is a Google Plus pal from years ago, and uh, wow, I just have so much to say. So let's start with this. David's an author, a speaker, a strategist. He's an analyst. He has written um, a plethora of books on all the subjects that are near and dear to my heart. Semantic Search, Google+, social media, and his latest book, The Sniper Mind. Welcome to the show, David. It's such a pleasure to be here and especially to reconnect after such a long time from Google+. Oh yeah, it's it's been quite a while. And I understand in that time, my God, have you been busy. <laughs> I have not been sleeping much, that's true. <laughs> I that was a good that was a question I was gonna ask. Like, when exactly do you sleep? And oh. did you get from the snipers about sleeping? I have actually as a matter of fact, I'm so glad you brought it up. And and here's what it is, right? Every book is an adventure, it really is. And this one in particular took me way outside my comfort zone. And as I was writing the subject, grew in depth and breadth. And at some point you ask yourself, can I do it? Is it possible even to meet the deadline, make it as, as accessible as possible, put meaning into it? And I ended up for about three months, sleeping about four hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> I know. And wow. the only way I could do it, yeah, I, I actually, you know, I thought snipers can do it, so why can't I, right? So I, I, I really looked at how they did it, and, and that's how I did it. Okay, that brings me to the question that I've been sitting on since we first spoke. Okay. Why snipers? Everybody asks that, so I'm so glad you <laughs> start with that. Okay, this is how it started. It's a long sort of story. I'm going to cut it very, very short. So about yeah. four years ago. I wrote an article in Forbes about um, brain anal analytics and the fMRI techniques we use to see the thinking brain in action. And the subjects at the time were snipers. And they were individuals put into a very critical ex executive decision-making moment. They had to balance a lot of variables and we could actually see the thinking brain making a decision. And we drew some ide ideas from that. So from that article, grew the idea around the book. And the deeper I went to the, into the research, the more I found out about snipers and what we knew about them and how we were studying them. And, and the book itself, to be honest, although every chapter starts with a sniper story and what it can show us, it also talks about baseball and baseball players. It talks about basketball players. It talks about business people. And essentially, at that high executive decision-making level, our brains are the same. There's no difference. So, and, and bizarre as it may sound, somebody who is active in a battle zone and they're tired and you know they're facing life and death situations, and you think, you know, how can a businessman compare to that? Or how can a basketball player compare to that? Well, from a critical decision-making point of view, there's no difference. You know, the pressure is high, the variables are fluid, everything is moving really quickly. You have to synthesize everything and make a decision and you have to quieten the voice in your head that says you can't do it. It says you're not good enough, the pressure's too high. All that goes away and then all that remains is what you need to do in order to get to the outcome you want. That, that's such a really good point. And I love the fact that you brought up that there are baseball players and basketball players because all of those things, business people in um, an important aspect of their business, when it comes crunch time, no matter what you're doing, we all have those same guttural, deep in the lizard brain responses, right? It's yes. you know, uh, fight or flight, uh, you know, stand, stand or run away, all that, all that mental work and, and intrinsic inner work hmm. is the same when it comes to anything important. And I think what it is and what you're going to talk about, especially in the book, is about snipers being able to, you know, put all of the focus or business people or, or sports, you know, uh, stars, they all are able to focus 
all of their internal energy on that one issue. Mm, exactly. And, and, and let's, let's unpack what you said, because what you said has so many different levels. You're right. The moment we face any kind of critical decision-making point, all the variables come together. And what do we do usually? We feel inadequate. We feel small. We know our own weaknesses intimately. We know our own failures of the past very well. <laughs> and what, what stands in front of us is a mountain of uncertainties which look like they're designed to crush us. And here we're going to ask, well, what is the role of the brain in this? And you mentioned the lizard brain, which is very old. And our brain basically has evolved to help us survive. So if you say, well, if the brain is there to help us survive, why can we succeed? Why can we start a business? And we're talented, knowledgeable. We know how to study. We know how to open books. We know how to ask questions from experts and take on, on board their knowledge. Why can we just do that and succeed? Well, the reason for that is because the brain essentially is a predictive machine. That's what it is. And in order for us to survive, this is what it does. It balances what it knows against what it doesn't know. On the one hand, you have the past, which you know intimately. You know your weaknesses, you know your failures, you know your fears. On the other hand, you have risk, uncertainty, and possibly fear. So you, you balance those three things and you think, well, the risks are high. And because you don't know them, they're potential risks. They tend to be magnified. You look at the uncertainty, and that's also high. And that also, that's also magnified. And then you look at the things which you know of the past. And you look at your failures. You look at your weaknesses. And they seem to be able to take away from your strengths. And suddenly, your brain doesn't want to let you do anything. So in that scenario, you understand why so many businesses fail. It's not that we're not clever. We are. It's not that we're not talented, passionate. Everybody is. You put your soul into it. What few of us have is the ability to harness the forces of our mind in a way that a trained person can do. And when we get to people who are elite boxers, elite basketball players, elite baseball players, elite combatants like special forces operatives or snipers, the difference is not so much physical. Yes, obviously they're trained because that's part of their job, but it's always that mental edge. And that critical moment, they're able to silence all the negative things in their brain and focus on what they have to do. And you say, well, how do they do it? There are a lot of steps to, to getting there, but here I will explain why they can do it. They can do it because they have trained themselves incrementally to deal with uncertainty. So a basketball player takes 10,000 shots. He may have 9,000 misses, but it doesn't matter. Every time he gets more and more familiar with the situation. A baseball player is the same. Special forces operatives, they go through such rigorous training which familiarizes, familiarizes them with danger and risks. And because they do all that, their brain sees in the future the uncertainties. It sees the risks. But in terms of what it already knows, the incremental gap is small. It's not a huge thing. So if you and I go into a battle zone, let's say in Afghanistan, and we go there tomorrow, yes, we're clever and talented. We know about so many things. And we're going to freeze. Oh, yeah. Because you think, I'm going, I, I can die here. <laughs> just the thought makes you freeze in your tracks. And then you see people who are just casually walking around. And you think, how can they walk around like this? They could just die in the next moment. But to them, their brains have evolved because of their training to see the risk which they face only as a percentage or two points higher than what they have been trained to deal with. So they're confident in their ability to navigate the future, and we are not. And it's that confidence that allows us to silence all the negative elements in ourselves, silence all the negative voices that say to us, you cannot do it, you will fail, and actually focus on getting the job done. And that difference in perspective makes everything change. Because suddenly, all your strengths, all your power, all your ability, all your skills, your knowledge come into an alignment, which makes you amazing. So that's how they do it. And I, I'm going to kind of put that in layman's terms from me, because as I understand it, that I keep calling it the lizard brain, but it kind of stopped when we hmm. were cavemen. It's still protecting us from saber-toothed tigers. And if we don't give it those wins, like visualizing what we actually want, which is what 
the snipers, the decision makers, the businesses, and all those, those stars and sports people, they all used visualization techniques to be able to get past that and be able to uh, sort of overcome all the negative pieces. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll add the next layer here. And I'm very glad you brought up visualization. You know, we say simple things. If you can't see yourself moving into the future, if you can't see a direction, then you can't plan for anything. So this is really important. If you're planning, it means you're thinking. If you're thinking, your brain is creating scenarios. We have, again, from fMRI studies, evidence that shows that if you are running something in your head, theoretically, if you're imagining it and you're imagining how it's going to go and what you're going to do in that, there are corresponding chemical and neurobiological changes to your body. So your musculature changes, your blood pressure goes up, your muscles twitch like you're actually doing it. Now, the reason for this is that the brain doesn't have redundant circuits. It doesn't have a circuit of neuro neurological connections which allow you to fantasize about something and then you actually do it. It's the same thing. So that's where we get a phenomenon which in psychology is called transfer. So essentially something which you imagined again and again and again and again creates neurological pathways in your head that enable you then to transfer that knowledge and skill into real life. So if you imagine, for instance, let's say neither of us can play tennis and you imagine yourself, you know, you go and watch a few YouTube videos and you imagine yourself doing it again and again and again, imagine yourself in the court and you do this for a few days. And I haven't watched YouTube videos and I haven't done anything those days. I've just been sleeping, eating, going out, having fun. We go on the court and you'd be better than me. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, your brain is already prepared. It's doing things it already knows, whereas mine is learning on the job, as it were. So I'm failing. I'm, I'm, I'm consuming resources, working things out as I go along. And you have an already pre-made battle plan, to put it in, in, in this kind of uh, context. And that allows you to do it a lot more easily than me. So we can see here already in what we discussed plans or um, blueprints which can be applied in the business world, in the entrepreneurial world, even in life, where we visualize, we think about the possibilities, we think about the scenarios, and that prepares us, prepares our brains to deal with what's coming ahead. And it, it's so true because the brain, it doesn't understand time or circumstance. So whatever you think, it is in essence true. It's true because your brain takes everything as gospel. It, it can't do anything but that. Um, I, I worked with a spiritual mentor who years ago, um, when we were teaching different meditation techniques and different things, did an exercise with a room full of people where you told yourself you couldn't breathe. And, and knew that you could. And it was fascinating for everyone in the room had an integral reaction in their body because they really thought for a moment that they couldn't breathe. And that power is absolutely what makes people that do it stand apart. They've harnessed that. Yes, yes, exactly. There, I mean, there's a phrase in, in, in psychology which says that the perception creates reality. So, you know, we talk a lot about facts and the situation. We say what's real, what real is what you can experience. And the thing is, two people looking at the same facts can have a different perception of reality simply because they filter it through a different uh, layer of knowledge and memory. This is where the person comes in. This is where we become the key ingredient. So, Again, if we, if we, let's say we're in a desert, both you and I, and we're given a glass half full, both of us, so we have one each, and I look at mine and I see it as half empty. And you look at yours and you see it as half full. And you say, well, you know, this is just an interpretation, right? David interprets it this way, Elaine interprets it that way. But this is not true because our perception now begins to affect the way our brain operates. If I think mine is half empty, I become anxious. My heart rate goes up, my blood pressure begins to become elevated, the higher executive um, centers of my brain begin to shut down and cortisol, the stress hormone, is released in my body. So what happens? I look at my half-full glass, I feel anxious, and I look around for opportunities to survive and perhaps replenish my glass, and I can't see them because my brain isn't capable of analyzing things fully. You look at your glass and you say, well, it's half-full, I'm pretty okay. I can, you know, so your cortisol levels are okay. 
you don't feel as much stress. Because of that, looking at the same facts, which are not available to me, see them, but my brain can't process them. So suddenly, that perception, that perceptual difference can make a massive difference in the outcome that I will achieve compared to you. And that's just on that, on that level. Absolutely. And, and it is, you know, it, it's so invigorating and so uplifting when you get that, that you can actually affect your reality. You can, you can work on you so that you do respond better. You're talking yes. about you having half half empty and me having half full. And in my head, the first thought was, well, I'll just share it with you. <laughs> <laughs> but, again, you see, yeah, exactly. But you begin to see possibilities, yeah. which let's say if we were together and I would have the half empty perception, my lizard brain response would be how I would safeguard it from you. So suddenly, if we were in a scenario where cooperating is what we need in order, in order to survive, you would be more capable than me because I wouldn't be thinking like that. And it, nothing changes. The facts are the same. The scenario is exactly the same. And that goes back to what you said earlier about the power of the trained brain. You know, because we all have a brain and we think, well, I can think. I, can think. I don't need any help there. And I always say to that, well, we all have legs as well, right? But we're not all sprinters or all marathon runners. We need specialized training for that. And when we actually go through the training, our body adapts and that's how we perform. And there's no difference to the brain. If we know how to train our brain, how to actually understand its dynamics and mechanics and how to put it together, then we're in a better situation to take advantage of it. Oh, absolutely. And often when people are smart enough to read books like yours and take in what's being offered, Okay, it's it, what's that old adage? Uh, the tide floats all, all boats, or something like that. You know, when the water comes in, it floats yeah, all yeah, boats. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Snipers in particular are almost a breed apart in many ways because they're, and, and to become a sniper, usually it takes about two and a half years. You know, from a specific level, you go through a training. So, in theory, almost anybody can become that. And once they're trained, they're able to focus so tightly and narrowly in what they do that they seem almost superhuman. And then when you actually meet them, and I interviewed over a hundred of them writing this book, they, I mean, obviously they're just people just like us, but within a certain context, they're able to bring amazing analytical powers to, to into play. And that makes them almost superhuman because they can see things in a situation, they can think in a way that we can't because we haven't been trained. Do you think you'd make a good sniper? <laughs> well, uh, having talked to so many and having spent so long in the book itself, I applied a lot of the things which I learned to myself and I keep applying them. It's, you know, it's a world works in progress. So incrementally, I see changes in the way I approach things. I see improvements in the way I handle stress and the way I handle things when I'm under pressure. And these are all beneficial. The whole point of the book is that we don't have to go to sniper school in order to yeah. learn how to apply these things. Um, what the fMRI studies show is that once we know how something is attained, what sort of neural centers come into play, how snipers do it, we can almost steal the technique from them and apply it to ourselves. And that's what actually gives us the advantage. So you say, you know, you're under pressure. What do you do? Well, you can run and hide. <laughs> that's one option. But when that is not an option, then you have to learn, okay, you're feeling under pressure. You take a deep breath. You let your brain unwind by looking somewhere else. You come back into it. You take a step back from, from yourself. And suddenly, you see things differently. And you're able to cope a lot better. This is how your decision making be becomes um, sharper. And, and that's, I mean, that's true of anything. That's true of, you know, writing writing that angry email to rebut something that just happened. If you take that step back, you know, apply even a modicum of, of what you can learn. Yes. Your answers are different and the outcome ends up being so much more productive 
because you took that time. And I think that's that's part of it as well as being able to step outside of yourself to take the time to decide. And I think that's a big part of what you talk about is those executive decisions. Yes, but yes, would, exactly. Would you say in terms of every decision can be an executive decision when you are focused on living, right? Yes. Exactly. I mean, you're talking about living an intentional life in many ways. Yes. And, and here's what neuroscience tells us about ourselves. At many levels, a lot of the stuff which we think we do daily is part of an instinctive reaction to our environment. And a uh, classic example, let's say um, before you meet your friend, you have had an accident at home. I don't know, you, you, know, you broke your favorite vase, you, you know, something which you wanted just got destroyed, and you're really angry with yourself. You meet your friend and she says something which, you know, it's a casual thing and sort of happens to rub you up the wrong way. And you explode. You really do. And your friend says, what's wrong with you? And you go, what oh, are you? Okay, all that happened is you were primed. You At home, things went bad and there's no one to, to, to yell at. So now you're primed. All these emotions are floating about in you. Neurochemicals are in your system. And you don't realize it, but you're on edge. And something triggers you and you unload. And this is the emotional response. This is where things begin to go wrong. Now imagine this setting now in something else. You know, business-wise, you're dealing with a, uh, a business, a brand uh, image uh, crisis point. You're dealing with a customer service story and things begin to go wrong. You're in a critical negotiation or even as an entrepreneur, you're about to make a critical decision about the, di the direction of your business. The thing is, any of those things can go really wrong if we don't understand our own emotions and how much they control us, and then why these things are happening. If, and this is where snipers always step out of themselves, they go, why? You know, they feel they can't do something and say, why? What is it? Are we tired? Is it uncertainty? Is it fear? Is it thirst? Is it heat? What, did, what is it? And then as you're breaking these, these components down step by step, you begin to create a modular picture of what controls you. And the moment you realize you're controlled by this, this is the beauty of the brain. The moment we realize how we are programmed, we're in, in control. We can actually change that programming. So you say, okay, you know, this doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. I don't control this. So I'm going to stop worrying about it. So then you're left with what can I control? What is it I can do? And the moment you focus on what you can do, it's like suddenly you have a pathway. You can actually start acting. And the moment we begin to take action, it's a positive effect because we're actually doing things. We're achieving what we need. And it creates a reward loop in our brain. We want more of it. So this is how we channel all that fear, all that uncertainty into something really productive. And in a high-pressure situation, it makes a difference between success and failure. It, it applies. My head's just spinning because there's like so many pieces there that go together. You know, doing doing um, sales training for for new people into business, just learning that you know at the at the core of all of this, you have the choice. You have the choice whether or not you're going to give in to the fear or the the situation or the anger or the whatever. But I think I think we need to actually build this information into our education systems from the get-go. Yes, yes. I mean, classic example. And again, I'm so glad you brought this up. There's so many practical applications to this. Education is one of them because we live in a world right now which is changing so quickly that by the time we have finished our education, it's already obsolete. And even worse, possibly, quite possibly, the jobs we're training for no longer exist. Mm -hmm. So yeah. then all we're left with is the mindset. If we've been trained to have the right kind of mindset where we have skills which we can use, analytical skills, skills which are practical in terms of building a, a skill set in a particular direction, giving us confidence in our ability, then those things allow us to evolve because we can all learn new things, right? As long as we believe we can do that and also know how to apply them in what we can, we can actually do. So education is one of those things. Business is another one where basically every decision we make these days hasn't got a black and white answer. 
You know, it's always a gray area. You're never sure. Is it the right decision? Is it the wrong decision? You need to be able to balance many variables. Since the Vietnam War, war in, in the States, the Army has been working in a world which they call VUCA, which is governed by volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And they've been training their officers in, to act in that world, but now they begin to train every single individual in the Army to be able to make those kind of decisions, to deal with those kind of problems, because they realize that the nature of war has changed. It's not enough to say, oh, we're going to a battle zone. This is our army. We're here. They are there. We just need to kill every one of them and win. Because you yeah. can't do that. That used to be the past. Now, if you kill every one of them, you're only going to face a lot more enemies. You're going to make your job a lot harder the next day. So you need to have a degree of empathy. And, you know, it sounds, it sounds really paradoxical when I explain this in context. They're going, well, you know, in war, how can you have empathy for your enemy? Well, you need, you understand your job and you, you, gruesome as it may be, yeah. and you understand what you have to do. But when you make those critical decisions, if you don't exercise empathy, the possibilities of making the wrong decision are a lot higher. And yeah. an accumulation of wrong decisions in war, just like an accumulation of wrong decisions in business and in life, gets you down the wrong path and you fail. And so yeah, empathy absolutely. is key. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. And it's interesting. I was reading something yesterday. Um, I'd have to look up who the lady was, but basically she was talking about the fact that it doesn't matter what side you're talking to in war, they both actually have the same aims. They both actually feel exactly the same way. And it, you yes. know, it's yes. sad. Exactly. And it's the same in business, right? You have, yeah. you, you spoke about Salesforce a little bit earlier and the traditional way of selling anything was to give you a technical sheet of all the points which you had to press on the customer, show him the advantage, and then you had to press forward the certain trigger points, emotional trigger response and tell him, you know, this is the latest model. This is the last one. We only have one or three. It's on special offer today. My manager gives you 10% off if you buy it now, you know, all those things of the past, right? This is the arsenal. And today, what do we know? We know these things backfire because they create pressure on the customer. It's most likely he'll make the wrong decision. You may make a sale, but then you may spoil the customer service experience. You may say, spoil the experience of the brand. Long-term, you're not actually making, doing yourself any favors. What could you do instead? Well, if you step into his shoes and say, hey, what is it you want exactly? You both want the same thing now, right? So you want to make a sale. He wants to get something which will completely fulfill his needs. And if we manage to bring those two together, we have a total win-win scenario. You've made a sale, which is a lot easier. He's got something he's really happy with. And then he goes away and says, that was a great experience. Like, oh, it's amazing. Long-term, you've created a pathway that leads to more sales, better brand experience, better customer service, service experience, evangelists, which you haven't paid to advertise your brand. So, exactly. And again, and this is the empathy card. This is how we basically step outside ourselves. Forget that we have the ego where we have to make a sale. We say, hey, I'm here to help you. And incidentally, war, with all its complexities and stupidity and the craziness that goes in it, at a certain conceptual level, is exactly the same thing. You have two sides vying for something which, if it's resolved, will satisfy both to an extent. And you just need to find a middle ground where basically you trade what you need for what to gain and so on. And and that gives you what the resolution you seek. No, and sadly, a lot of these things have gone on so long. You know, it's generational. They're not even sure what it yes. was that started it, which is well, to me it's the same. You're right. And it's the same with traditions. In business, a lot of the times we do things blindly because We've always done them that way. This is their way of whatever brand name you want to put there. Yeah. And you say, well, what is the way of you know, the brand? Well, this is the way. And you say, why? Because we've always done it this way. Why? Nobody can tell you why, except that this is the way to do it. And, you know, we have traditions and we fall into behavioral patterns like that because from a conceptual level, they save us a lot of complex thinking. They save us a lot of emotional energy. They save us intellectual energy. We take the easy path. 
But that easy path, that shortcut, always wrong foot, wrong foots us, and it always gets us into trouble. So really, in the complexity of the world of the 21st century, the only way ahead is to constantly challenge ourselves and ask why. Why is this happening? Why am I feeling this way? Why are we doing this today? And if we can't answer that satisfactorily, then the chances are that we should be doing it differently and we need to approach it from a different point of view. And that's such a good point because, you know, by and large, people are, you know, it's so much more savvy. And sometimes when I say that, people have said, well, no, no, people don't understand tech. I said, it's not what I mean. It's, you know, we have access to so much, yes. you know, it's the most interesting thing I think to me is even in this day and age, when we can, you know, Google anything we want to find out, you, you have the opportunity that's never been available before to globally reach out for whatever you want. But the funny thing is that at the very core, what it comes down to is people are still asking their cohorts on social media, their people on LinkedIn, their whatever, what did you do? Who did you buy from? Yeah. What yeah. was your experience? Yes. Word of mouth at the end, you know, it's what started it. And it's still where we are. Exactly. I and mean, that's such an important point to actually make. Because a lot of the times we're blinded by technology. Like, just like armies sometimes are blinded by the size of their weapons. Yeah. Just like, you know, uh, XYZ company is blinded by its website or its new slick sales app or whatever it is that's, you know, the flavor of the month. And ultimately, all that at a very base level is driven by people, us, our emotions, our intent, our sense of purpose, and our needs. And the moment we realize that, things become simpler because historically, evolutionarily, we have basically um, formed in a way that allows us to connect with other people. We know almost instinctively whom to trust. We don't have to analyze them at a granular level because we can sense it. We know whom to connect with. We trust the people who are close to us when it comes to recommendations, as you pointed out. So these things are, and these days through technology, are at a global level. They're removed by, you know, from time zones and, and country borders. But they're essentially communities of human contact. And that is what actually allows us to be such a potent force in so many different areas. And again, this is what trained people know and understand when it comes to analyzing situations. They understand that the human factor is the most important element. They understand, understand that behaviors always trump any kind of conceptual knowledge or conceptual strategy or anything else. So we need to take this on board now, factor it in in our thinking and begin to apply it in our own life, in our business, in any kind of strategic situation we meet and we'll see how differently things begin to fall into place. And, and I think what fascinates me the most about everything that you said, and in actual fact, the snipers have to embody that empathy. Yes, yes, yes. In completely. order to properly do their job, as horrific yes. as that can be. Absolutely. Which... And this is something that's always a misunderstanding, and I'm very glad you brought this point up. There's a misunderstanding when it comes to snipers because they don't talk a lot. They no. don't publicize themselves very much. And everybody thinks of them as silent, remote, cold-blooded killers. And they are the most overwatched and overseen uh, people in the army. Every shot they make is poured over by, by lawyers back at home. Its legality is examined. And a sniper, apart from, apart from all the critical decisions he has to make in combat to take a shot to save his people, to remove himself from danger, whatever else he has to do. He also has to keep in mind the legality of his actions. And yeah. a lot of people don't understand this. There's a huge complexity there. And they, the only way they can load the dice in their favor is by having that role of empathy, where they feel the humanity of what they're doing. They feel the humanity of the people they're actually targeting when they do. And then there's a higher level of confidence in those actions and decisions they actually make. And gruesome as it may sound, there is 
that humanity which actually changes the entire scenario and makes yeah. everything a bit more palatable. Oh, absolutely. And and I know that, you know, there are some of you that, that may not totally understand what we've just been talking about because it it is really hard sometimes to see beyond what we've been brought up with, what we think we know is true. As you said, the, the traditions, the, the definitions that we've had for lifetimes. But I, I think, David, you hit on it. At the core of everything, in order to learn to know, like, and trust someone else, you have to have empathy. And, yeah. you know, in business, bottom line, you don't do business with business. You do business with people that you know, like, and trust. Exactly. So exactly. It's Absolutely. always simple. Yeah, and, and from a neuroscientific point of view, because we can actually look at these things now, yeah. we can see how empathy actually works. And this is how it works. I can say, you know, you can tell me, oh, I'm really cold now. I can say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, because I'm sort of visualizing the cold. But if I don't feel it, nothing happens in my mind. All that happened was I put up a screen, I'm sorry, a traditional response to something bad. And, you know, if we sort of really analyze this at any depth, the only thing that I feel is perhaps a little bit happier that I'm not as cold as you are. But if I feel empathy, this is what happens in my brain. First of all, I'm taken outside myself. So the circuits of the brain, which actually are activated, are almost like a third party observer. So now I can almost see myself in who I am and what I do in relation to you. And now I have a different perspective from you. And then, and here's where the magic happens at the empathy level. The, the, the circuits in my brain which are activated are the ones which would mirror almost the sensation of cold. So now I'm beginning to feel what you feel. I don't shiver because I'm perhaps in a much warmer climate than you, but I can actually understand it. And the moment I understand it, I understand you. And the moment I understand you, I understand partially your motivation and why you behave the way you do, why you're all wrapped up and all I can see are your eyes perhaps because it's really cold. <laughs> So then that allows in my brain, because I understand your motivation and understand why you behave that way, to trust you, even if I don't know you. And again, this is the brain being a predictive machine, trying to minimize the risks of the future, minimize the uncertainties of those, those risks, bring with them, and actually allow me to navigate it. And if I don't understand your behavior, well, it doesn't matter what you say, I have no way of knowing what you're going to do next. And then I feel uncertainty when it comes to you, which means I can't really trust you. We can't do business together. We can't do anything together because there's no trust bridging that gap yeah. between us. So yes. empathy is, is, is magical. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, our brains at, at the core of it are trying to keep us alive. Yes. No matter what. The, the main aim is just to keep your heart going, your brain going, keep you surviving at whatever cost. So yeah, the empathy allows you to be calmer and allow your brain to be calm, thus not giving us all the cortisol that causes people so many problems. So it really pays, I think, to work on empathy. And like anything else, you can train yourself to be more empathetic. Yes, exactly. Now, they, most people say, well, how? How do I do that? You know, I've, I'm, I'm busy earning a living. I can't go and meditate up in a mountain with the monks. I haven't got a lot of time to do <laughs> a lot. And it, it takes relatively simple steps. You know, whenever you can, if you sort of try and visualize another person's situation, take real interest in the people you actually meet, as opposed to just saying, how are you doing? And not really expecting any response except um, fine. The moment there is that contact, actually listen. Because what happens in your brain as you listen, it begins gradually to fill in those gaps in terms of knowledge and experience and memories, which help it create its own 3D models of how the world works, which then helps it visualize things. And beyond enriching our own store of knowledge and um, experience, it also creates that gradual awareness of other people as fully formed entities, as opposed to you know cardboard cutouts we meet in our daily life. 
And that's what actually allows us to feel almost what they feel. We mirror their emotions. If we mirror their emotions, then we begin to understand their motivation, we begin to understand what their behavior. And again, these are, these are all game-changing concepts. And they can happen so easily by, by applying ourselves just a little bit every day. Even for small business, just starting this process to take these steps can make your whole business turn around and flourish because without even realizing it, you are going to see massive changes just by the changes in you because you will approach everything differently. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just contextualizing this into something really uh, applicable and very easily yeah. achieved. You know, everybody has a website and we know these days that you need to have a content creation strategy, which means you need to have content on your website. And what do we do, right, if we're in business? The first thing we do is we throw up all these posts about how great we are, why we're in business, and what are the technical points of doing business with us or the products we sell or the services we sell, etc. This is all about us. Yep. Nobody cares. Nope. How about you step outside yourself and say, you know, those looking for my business, those looking for my help, what are they really interested in? They may not be interested in the technical specifications of your product, but they may be really interested in the problem it will solve for them. So they start out with a problem. They don't start out looking for your business with technical specifications in mind. They become, I'm not saying they're unimportant, they become important later when there's a comparison to be made. When they think, okay, you almost convinced me, is your product as good as you say? Let's compare it to other people's product or other people's services. Then it makes a difference. But they need to be convinced in the first instance before they get to the comparison stage. They need to feel that you can help them. So you start out with the problem you can solve, the help you can give, the solutions that will make their life easier or enable them to do something better. And that, again, requires that stepping outside ourselves, stepping to the shoes of those looking for our help, those looking for our website, those looking to do business with us. So that's, again, the empathy principle. And, and that's such a good point because often when you're talking, uh, when I'm talking to a new client, when you're talking to someone that is a small business, they are. I can think back years. I was just so excited to be able to help people with what I could offer. And that's, yeah, not at all. They, they want someone to see their problem, to hear what they need, and then you can give them the rest. And sometimes when you ask a business person, well, you know, who's your target market? This is one of the biggest problems that small business has. They say, oh, everybody. Everybody yes. needs my product. <laughs> it's like, well, no, <laughs> no, that's that's not it. And and I think that's where the the discussion about empathy would come in handy, because once you can empathize, then you can understand their needs better and be able to maybe see a. a a better path for you and not be so you know wide open that you just want anything because i believe that's a fear response exactly exactly and, and this is classic example that you gave indeed you know we think okay i have a website i have a product whose value or a service whose value i'm convinced in and i'm really passionate about so obviously the whole world is my customers yeah. right and you think well if you do that then what are you doing? You're spreading yourself so thin, it's highly unlikely you're going to appeal to anybody because you're not targeting anybody in particular. You're just telling everybody how great you are. And you may be able to do enough business to keep you going for about two years, which is the average lifespan of a new business, and then you're going to fail. But if you say, okay, you know, what problem am I solving? And then you start thinking, well, if I'm solving that problem, who has that problem to begin with? And immediately there's your audience. So if you create content which shows the problem you're solving, how you're going to solve it, why you're the best person to solve that problem for them. That it's an entirely different uh, approach and it's a more human connection, which brings us back to your original point. It's still about people doing business with people. You need to convince me that you're a person who understands my problem, has the expertise or the tools or whatever it is that 
will solve it and you're willing to do it for a fair price and you're capable of doing it. These are all human concepts. It doesn't matter whether we do them with, you know, laser lights and, you know, in a virtual environment or in the real world or over the phone or through the web. It really doesn't matter. These are just, these are just layers of dressing. The human connection is always what drives things forward and what makes things happen. And that hasn't changed. Unlikely it will ever change as long as we're organic beings. Yeah. So this is what we actually need to address. And, and I think, I think with, with more technology, with more bells and whistles, we've made it so much more complex for ourselves. When in fact, if you, you know, take away all the fancy window dressing, take away all that stuff, it's, it's just the, the me and you, and do I have what you need, or does she have what you need? Yes. That's, that's really, in a nutshell, what we need to get back to. Exactly, exactly. And th the funny thing is that that primarily basic principle, which you know, in the real world, in a face-to-face -face situation, we can do almost with our eyes shut. When it comes to the complexity of the world now, you know, an environment where businesses have several different layers and presences, where we talk asynchronously sometimes across time zones and through email and through websites and through words and pictures instead of video, we have to basically synthesize all this in a way that actually makes sense. And the only way we can do that is if we are consistent, if we're analytical, if we know ourselves, if we know why we do those things, and then if we know who we're targeting, which that connection, that you know, all these these are elements which essentially train people, know how to put together in their heads really quickly. And we have to learn them bit by bit. It's a modular approach. Absolutely. And getting a little further afield here from what we're talking about. Yes. You, you just it, said it really well about about video. Okay. Yes. I I see in the next few years, we're simply going to be exchanging video on our wearable devices and in whatever format, be it phone or headset or whatever we have, I think we're going to see less and less of content as a text-based addition. I think that'll be secondary to all the video that will be happening yes. because yeah. it just allows us so much more of a connection. Yes, as a, as a, you're, you're right, you're absolutely right. And here's the challenge. As a technology evolves, it becomes more rarefied, more complex, but that complexity becomes hidden. We look to the practical applications. What we're doing here, you know, we are thousands of miles apart and we're talking real time. And this is a, what I call a semantically dense medium. You can see my expressions, you can hear my inflection, you can see my facial um, gesture, gestures, you can see whether I'm gesticulating with my hands and everything else. And that becomes um, an extra layer of information which allows you to quantify and assess everything I say. And the connection becomes better, richer, and so on. We would be able to do almost the same thing on the go using just voice, where we are talking to each other, I'm doing some things, you're doing some things, we're doing things differently in different places, and we're still connecting in a semantically rich environment. These are direct outcomes of the technology which we have, which now add an additional layer of complexity to the world, because we have to become adept at managing all this information, assessing it really quickly, and reaching decisions on the go in a very complex way and still getting the outcome we want. So again, what it demands from us, funnily enough, is a better mental and arguably psychological training in how we manage our responses, manage our brains, manage our expectations, manage our skill sets in order to return to the values which we really value, the things that have true meaning to us, the connection of the person, the trust element, the feeling that we get working with somebody or talking to somebody or learning from somebody. So in order to get to those and get to them really quickly, we have to become as adept at using these tools and assessing situations as we become face to face. You know, if you're in a group and you meet six people and one of whom you don't like, very quickly, you're very adept, you're going to 
cut that one person off without being rude. Yeah. You're gonna focus on the five people whom you like, and that'll be it, right? You don't think anything of it because skilled as that may be, it's second nature to us. Yeah. Now we have to become almost that good doing it in a digital environment, doing it in, in the complexity of all the things that come with it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting for for me as a, a grandma. I have five grandkids, varying ages oh, wow. from twenty three to one and a half. It's fascinating to watch the eight year old, the four year old, and the one and a half year old. It's like the you know the story of the monkeys on the island. You know the next group of monkeys are born and they know yeah. how to peel the banana. Yeah. Yes. The little ones come into this world already fully aware how to swipe. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, the, the digital, digital native. Yeah. 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 And exactly. and I think it's the onus is on us, on your generation and mine, to bring everything that we can to the table in order to maintain the conversations with the millennials with yeah. gen z to be able to fully participate in this wonderful world that we're creating and yes yeah. you know with the onus on us there is input required we do have to train ourselves but you know, at this point in time, we, we have such an availability of help that yeah. to me, it just makes sense. Exactly. And in many ways, I mean, we are early adopters and we've been through a lot of different changes from yeah. the oh, a website. What does this button do? Yeah. <laughs> to actually say, you know, we don't like banners and we have banner blindness and everything should be very functional and the user experience matters. And in in, in that journey, in order to get there, we have had to devise new principles to understand them, to understand the dynamic, see how it mapped to what happened in the past. We get the new generation and they're already digital natives. They, as you said, they know how to swipe. I play a lot of PlayStation. I'm convinced some of the kids I play with have mutant thumbs because <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> because it's amazingly good. And they, they kill them in the games every time. So, you know, these are the things which, you know, they come in and, and they have different expectations, but yeah. the principle is, and this is really important, that whatever the expectations are, whatever the environment, whatever the complexities, however technology evolves, the fundamental principles remain the same, the human to human connection, the human values, the human principles that guide us. And what happens usually is as complexity accumulates, these things become to become begin to become lost somewhere along the way and we have to rediscover them it is up to us every time to bring the focus back to hey yeah this is great but if the fundamentals are not right it's not going to work and you know we, it happens every time i mean the turn of the century in the moment we go into the year 2000 it's like all the basic business principles of the past faded away and nothing counted and then we had to go through the dot-com bubble where things collapsed, you know, like another tulip crisis. And we had to learn, again, that basic business principles still apply, even though it's a digital domain. If you have nothing to sell, you can't be valued X number of, you know, millions. It's ridiculous. So, you know, these are the things we, you know, the lessons which we learn the hard way every time because our memories are short and we always think there's a shortcut. Yeah, and we we learn these painful lessons and experiences, and then we apply them. So you're quite right. It's up to us now to pass almost you know part of the knowledge which we've gained to a generation that is more adept at living in this digital domain, so they don't make the same mistakes. So they basically use that to go higher, faster, do better things, and be inclusive. Yes. <laughs> well, fundamentally, as humans, we face always the challenge. You know, how do we manage our instinct for tribes and small communities to the knowledge and the evidence that if we cooperate, things become easier, things become better. So, you know, there's a dynamic there which constantly needs managing, which constantly needs validation, constantly needs a feedback that allows us to, to apply it irrespective of the challenges. And the challenges are huge, you know, going forward, we have global warming, we have the planet doing all sorts of things. We have resources beginning to um, uh, dwindle. 
These are challenges which no individual, no community, no nation on its own can hope to solve. So, and again, this, these are the things which come from the kind of thinking, the kind of analytical thinking, kind of critical thinking that trained brains learn to apply. You know, in, in the sniper mind, this comes through because it gives you some of the tools to look at a situation in situational awareness mode and begin to take it apart and say, okay, what's important here? What's not important here? What's critical? What can I absolutely not do with? What can I absolutely use and cannot, you know, take my focus off? Learning to think like this, it's it's a skill in its own right. And when you face complexity, it's what actually allows you to, to navigate it safely. That's uh, all excellent points. And Good Lord, <laughs> I, I could I could keep you talking for hours and hours and hours. Um, I'll, I'll have to come back. <laughs> you, oh, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad you broached it because I was going to ask. Yeah, there is so much more to this discussion. You know, the last thing I, I wanted to say was, you know, we learned once um, social media came onto the scene. I know for a number of years, people were saying, oh, my God, you know, everyone's just going to go into their basement and disappear and no one will talk to other people. And we got into Hangouts, which was the first real group video chat, as Vic said, was sitting on yep. the porch. The first thing we did was 70 of us went to New York City because yes, we all exactly. wanted to be yes. together. Yes. So, yes. you know, it's the human the human need for connection, the human need for that contact, it doesn't go away. Uh, we just have to find ways to really use our technology and adapt yes. in ways that we can do it together better. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's the real challenge because we have to do that while at the same time facing the problems we have with making a living, facing the problems we have with living in particular environments, particular countries, particular nations, and dealing with a constant complexity which needs us to keep on learning. So we have to juggle all those things and still be as genuine as we are in person, as human and warm as we are in person. The challenge never goes away. But as you said, the outcome of that, the reward of actually connecting like this, it's massive. It's life-changing. That's so, so true. On that note, I always ask guests for one little nugget that you can give uh, to our audience that they can use in their personal life, their business life, and or both. Something you use maybe on a daily basis that's a, a good little tip. Absolutely, and there's there's one which I I still do every day, and I've been doing it I've been doing it on and off for years. But ever since I started three years ago, uh, researching and writing the Sniper Mind, and it came out last November, I've been doing it daily every day. And I always ask myself why Why am I getting out of bed? And the moment I go through that, usually usually spend about five minutes in the morning, maybe ten if I have a little bit more time, analyzing all my motivations. By the time I do it. It's changed my entire game plan. It's changed my motivation. It's changed my mindset. It doesn't matter what kind of day I have after that. I feel very grounded in myself. It can be really good or it can be really bad, but that's immaterial because you feel your own path. And that really grounds you. It gives you a sense of purpose. And with that, you can do almost anything. Oh, I really like that. That's awesome, David. Thank you. Thank you. That You're is awesome. fabulous. Fabulous. So on that note, a couple of things. David's definitely going to come back. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, we will have links to David's book, The Sniper Mind, and all of David's other books on BBP TV. And make sure that you have all the links to David's social and his website so you can contact David if you need to. Um, I know I'm going to be watching the show again because there's just so much goodness in here. Thank you all for watching. Thank you to my amazing guest, David Amarant, who Thank I very much. absolutely adore, respect, and I'm so happy that we reconnected this year because I do miss us on Google Plus and I miss all our group hangouts. But you know, our tribes are still out there, which is great. Indeed. I'm Elaine Lindsay of True Social Media, your host for BBP TV. I will see you next time. Until then, make your day amazing. Mm -hmm.